0: ever been out with a group of friends or perhaps colleagues from work or, you know, just people you may not know super well, and they find out you're a Christian and all of a sudden spontaneously a game of let's stump the Christian breaks out. (laughs) And somebody, often the resident atheist, will start saying, well, what about this in the Bible? What about this contradiction? And what about this, you know, is Jesus uh, or was God a homicidal maniac? You know, genocidal, tyrant, you know. So we decided, Ben and I, mm-hmm. to do a series on tough questions Christians are asked.
1: Our follow-up to this is tough questions to ask atheists. Oh,
0: yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Teasing, yeah. So my name is Dan. I'm Ben. Uh, no.
1: You are not Ben.
0: I'm with Ben. My name is Dan.
1: <laughs> it's the afternoon. You know what it is. I had some of that
0: cough syrup you were pitching a couple episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm you're still. still a t- an, I'm still an alcohol. Virgin. You announced from the stage <laughs>
1: that you are a teetotaler. So, yes, I did. I, yeah. no, I'll never be able to. I drink. was going
0: to say, forget that,
1: man. Yeah, I'll have to retire first or
0: something. <laughs> um, what would we? Oh, yes, <laughs> we're starting a new series on tough questions. Tough. Tw- t- Listen to me. Tough questions Christians are asked. Today, we're... Oh, yeah. Well, I was introducing myself. Yeah. You are Ben. I'm Dan. We're yes. the teaching pastors yes. at Life Fellowship outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and this is Life Talks. Okay. Now that we've got that all out <laughs> of the
1: our... This is no, only like our 700th episode, and Dan's
0: like, wait a second. <laughs> uh... Well, today we're going to talk about apparent contradictions in yeah. the scripture, and we use the word apparent because that's part of what we have to realize mm-hmm. is just because somebody calls it a contradiction doesn't right. mean it is a contradiction. Yes. So Ben, what's the impetus behind all of this? And and uh, and we'll, we'll get into this.
1: Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that most people, if, if you grew up in the church or you claim to be a Christian, chances are you will come across someone who has done some you know some googling sleuth work on the internet of of how to prove the bible's not true and mm-hmm. and there are all kinds of websites and out there the it,
0: first one that comes up by the way cuz i did i googled it yeah was from atheists.com or yeah. it was yeah. an atheist and and there's but there's a whole row like on you know when the google gives you the box of would you like to search this yeah, there's one 300 700 800 contradictions in the bible oh, so it's, somebody's been counting yeah, yeah. and and uh, it's and
1: it's really petty and and we're not going to get into Um, all, all the, here's the reality. This goes back. This issue is probably, you got to remember the first, uh, encounter that mankind had with the spirit world with this, with Satan was, um, did God really say Hmm. God's word and what God's, God's narrative of, of humanity or what his desires were for humanity has been under attack from the very beginning. So we know that this this was this is the first attack. It's the it's the oldest attack and it's probably the most effective attack when it comes to attacking people's faith. If you can get them to disbelieve the Bible, then you can get them to question everything. Because what you're questioning is can I really trust the record that holds the the supposed truth of of what God has revealed to us? And um obviously, Dan, you and I, we we believe wholeheartedly in the Bible. I remember when I was in Bible college, the very first theology, now we had a Theo one, which is basically a summary of all of the nine major doctrines, all of the systematic theologies. But the first one we took, you would think that you would start with Theo, theo, uh, theo proper, which is the doctrine of God, but our school started with bibliology hmm. because they really wanted you to understand the foundation that you had that to the to, to rely on the trustworthiness of the Bible. And um, you know, so you have words like infallible and inerrant and inspired. Th- these are words that describe that the, the Bible contains no errors and the Bible um is given to us by God. And there's there's we believe that. And so when people say, well, what about this verse and what about this thing? And and I think it's it puts if you've not done the research and if you haven't done the study, it can catch people off guard, especially when people have studied and say, well, what about this and this? Now I've, I've gone to some of those websites and I've read Mm -hmm. about some of those, um, contradictions. They're just plain dumb. Like sometimes they just take simple logic to say, you know, for example, one that I saw on this website was, um, you know, it says in, it says in Acts chapter two that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said in Matthew seven, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. Well, there's a contradiction. Well, that's not a contradiction. What Jesus is talking, first of all, anyone who does call on the name of the Lord that that believes in him will be saved. Jesus is addressing false prophets who don't really love Jesus. They're just using the name of Jesus for their own purposes. So yeah, they they might've called on the name of the Lord, but it wasn't out of faith. It wasn't out of love. It wasn't out of you know saving faith. And so it's like, no, those don't contradict each other. And there are hundreds of those examples that they will pick, you know, cherry pick little phrases here and there and see how see, or, you know, another Mm -hmm. one is, you know, God in the Old Testament, God says to honor your father and mother. And Jesus said that you have to hate your father, you know, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So we have to remember that not these apparent contradictions aren't really contradictions because if you study the whole narrative of scripture, it's these are very easy to explain
0: yeah. and many of them are contextual and that and i actually spent some time talking about this sunday morning when i was teaching but but Context is everything. A hundred percent, and and you have 100%. to you have to go back and 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 say, well, to whom was he speaking? When was he speaking? What was the questions being asked? What was the previous conversation that what's we're the, building off of? What's
1: the theme of the book?
0: Yeah, and so all, all of those, but here here's the reality. And I said this to somebody who was questioning some issues of faith not long ago. I said, if you're looking for a reason to doubt God, doubt Scripture, doubt you know uh, spiritual truth or whatever, Satan will provide you with a with an armload. It's, it's it's really not going be a heavy carry for him. Um, one of the things as believers is is we walk into a conversation on apparent contradictions with the idea that there is an explanation. Mm. Um, we we lean into our faith. We lean into yes. this because the evidence. Is sufficient apart from those contradictions to give it the benefit of the yeah. doubt and to start from there. It doesn't mean that we're against discussing these. You right. know, I, I kinda, well, some people are. I kind of grew up in that fundamentalist subsect that was like, "Well, God's word said it. No, I believe it. That mm-hmm. settles it." <laughs> and and you know, that's that's a very cliche. You know, it makes for good preaching, but it's lousy theology. The, yeah. the, you know, the, the fact is, actually, the more you study the contradictions. The deeper your appreciation is going to be for the the truth, the accuracy, uh, and, and and the purpose of Scripture.
1: Absolutely, when you think about this, Dan, and and one of these one of these days, I'd love for us to do a series on how we got the Bible, because I think that most people that don't really understand how the Bible came together. But if you think about, this was a book that took fifteen hundred years to write, with. You know, dozens of authors.
0: Over, over it's actually 1600 for, for, with 40 different authors. Yeah. Forty
1: different authors, um, three different languages. Um, you know, multiple continents and a
0: gap in the middle of 400. years. A
1: gap in the middle of 400 years, and yet there is a. It is a, and and not these these four 40 different authors, all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You know, from the highly educated to the to a farmer, and yet again. I'm not saying farmers
0: are. Uh, Hang on, I'm just a moment to be offended. All farmers out there. My my
1: point is, you have you. (laughs) My point is, people that are schooled and unschooled, you know those kinds of things, and I think that when you look at how all the other um, holy books of all different religions and faiths, they rely on one singular author who has come up with these writings and mm-hmm. and even when that happens, like the Book of Islam, the Book of Mormon, there's contradictions in that when there's one person, mm-hmm. right? And when you have the number of different authors, you gotta and yet you have this seemingly beautiful one one narrative story. It's it's unbelievable. It's a supernatural thing that we have in front of us, the fact that there it doesn't lie. It doesn't contradict. And the apparent contradictions, what one, one of the things that in my study of this, I found a great website. I think it was Zondervan that put it out. They had a great, they had some great lines on there. In there, but one of the things that they said was, "Differences don't equal contradictions." Mm-hmm. You have to remember that. And one of the, probably the, there's and there's other contra- there's different types types of contradictions. We don't want to talk about all of them, but the there there's one kind of of apparent contradiction that it's like, well, the Bible says this, but archaeology says something else, mm-hmm. right? Well you got to remember that archaeology is always based off of assumptions always. And so when they are making assumptions about this is what this is, most of them, um, are from a, you know, anti-supernaturalist, you know, bent that they will not allow supernatural explanations for things. Right. So they've got to come up with a naturalistic explanation. So they say, well, this is, this can't be true because of X, Y, Z. Well, So I I think we're not going to get into those issues because that's a whole other issue. I want to just talk about the apparent contradictions that we have. And the, the biggest ones that most people bring up is the four Gospels. Because what you have is you have four different narratives about the life of Jesus. And within these four different narratives, there seems to be things that are said in one way differently in another way. But again, differences don't mean contradictions. It just means all of those four authors for the Gospels they had a different audience they have a different purpose of writing that and they had a different theme that they were trying to display on who Jesus was and i appreciate that god in his sovereignty and through his inspiration of the holy spirit gave us four different pictures four different audiences some were to greeks some were to romans some were to jews right but all of them had a purpose and so when you think about all of these differences in in the Gospels—they were given for a reason, and all of them can be explained. So, um, I've I've got these in order just to kind of help people through when they see and hear things, and people say, "Well, what about this? and What about that?" You know, we can put them into a couple of basic categories. The first one is paraphrasing and interpretation. Okay, one of the things you got to remember is that the ancient historians never concerned themselves with. Making sure things that were said were verbatim, they never did that. Okay, now I'm not saying that some of the that the words we have in Scripture aren't necessarily the words that Jesus said. I believe that, but it's the equivalent of someone saying, "If I was to summarize your sermon on Sunday, and I could give maybe a you know five minute overview, I would be I would be paraphrasing what you said, and or maybe interpreting it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because." if I am going from Aramaic to Greek, the Bible is written, but it doesn't mean that there's, I'm saying anything wrong. Um, I'm I'm summarizing or I'm paraphrasing something that you said and I'm putting in, in condensed moments. Um, for example, an, an example of this would be um, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew chapter five. Well, in Luke and the Sermon on the Plain, he says, blessed are the poor. Well, what was it? In the spirit or mm-hmm. po- just poor? Well, it just depends on, I'm sure there were times that Jesus said, blessed are the poor, and sometimes he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. They both had a purpose and meaning, but you got to remember, who was Luke written to? One of the things that you'll constantly see in the gospel of Luke is that there is a theme of stories told, parables, lessons that Jesus taught that really, that really I don't want to say attack, but confront the trust in riches. Who was the uh, who is the audience of Luke's gospel Theophilus who was he he was a very wealthy rich man that gave Luke a lot of money to write this gospel and he took it and said I'm going to put everything in here the story of Jesus to make sure that Theophilus doesn't put his trust in money I mean it's amazing when you think about the, all of these all of these quote unquote discrepancies have reasons for them okay another one would be um when the centurion uh, at the foot of the cross in Matthew and Mark it says, "You know," the centurion says, "Surely this man was the son of God." And Luke it says, "This was a righteous man." Why? Because you know, in the Matthew and Mark, there's this very strong understanding of of Jesus being the son of God, you know, fulfilling the line of David. In um, Luke, you, there's this really strong emphasis on the righteousness of Jesus. He's now could the centurion could have could he have said both of these things? Yeah, he could have said this man was the son of god he was or he was a righteous man the son of god i could have said both of those things we don't know but it doesn't mean there's a contradiction it means that there these people the authors are adding details that that show jesus for what he really was and so so the, that's that's the first one
0: yeah. I think, I think one of the things that we have to remember is this was never supposed to be a transcript.
1: Absolutely. Right. That's it not was how ne- they record right. history in the past.
0: Right. And any more than it was supposed to be a history text or mm-hmm. a science text, mm-hmm. or that, that was not the intention That's of right. it. And and the other thing is that God did use human instruments. That's right. And in and, and such, because it's written to humans and it's written for humans but it's written from God mm. God superintended it through his holy spirit yes. but he allowed the personalities he allowed the context that's he right. allowed the the culture to be reflected mm. in what he was preserving for us
1: 100% yeah. 100% so that's the first one paraphrasing and interpretation the second one is abbreviation and and omission so just because there's an omission of details doesn't mean that there's contradictory. So for, for example, in Matthew, um, you have two demon-possessed men. In Matthew chapter 8, uh, Matthew 20, you have two blind men being um, saved. And in Luke 24, you have two angels at the tomb. Well, in the gospel of Mark, you only have one, Mark 5, which parallels Matthew 8, Mark 10, which parallels Matthew 20, Mark 16, which parallels Luke 24. Well, was there one or was there two? Well, just because it says that there was an angel who spoke doesn't mean that it wasn't two angels. It just mm-hmm. means that th- these are detail. Again, these are all about from the perspective of the person telling the story. For example, if y- the three of us in this room, brit Dan, and Ben, okay if we were going to tell people about our experience from this past Sunday, the things that we did, the things that we experienced, the things that we saw, Britt, you're in the production room. Your, your perspective of what you deal with and see is completely different from, from most people, right? Dan, your perspective was from the stage, mm-hmm. right? My perspective was from the audience one service, and I was you know, you know, know, doing some prayer walkings in the, during the first service. All of us are going to have variations of our own personal experience. It doesn't mean that when someone hears your story of what happened on Sunday, my my story and your story, Britt, that they're going to be like, well, they're just all lying. Right. It just is a matter of what we all saw and what we experienced is going to be different. But when we tell of the common experience, there's this sense of none of us are wrong. We're just, there's certain details that I'm going to leave out that that you don't leave out because it's more important to you than what you experience. Yeah. Does that make sense? And, and
0: it adds to the richness of the you know the story, the narrative. Yes. We were just talking before we, we got on, on the air here hmm. uh, about how movies have changed. And, yes. and Britt was noting that early on, there was one camera, there was one perspective. Yeah. It was very flat. Um, I just saw Mission Impossible. They must have used 100 cameras. You know, it was every (laughs) different angle. And 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 you feel like you're going to get, you know. I thought I was going to have a convulsion (laughs) at times, you know, trying to, you know, process all the data coming into my my head. But certainly none of us are going to argue that the experience of seeing it from multiple facets uh, is – is is less information laden is less you know yeah. it obviously enriches it because it layers it yes. and so and that's what scripture has done particularly with the gospels because mm. it was the life of christ that's i mean right. this was this the center part of, yes. of all of scripture
1: absolutely so you got to remember that just because something appears again differences do not equal contradictions all every single thing that you can read that seems to be a contradiction has a very clear explanation That's what you have to remember. Um, The third thing is that you'll see is a reordering of events. For example, uh, if you study the temptation of Jesus, um, it's the, the order is different in Matthew than in Luke. Okay. Well, Matthew ends with the devil bringing Jesus on the mountain to show them the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you these kingdoms. Well, why did Matthew end with that? Again, this is about a theme of Matthew's letter that one of the themes of Matthew's letter is the, is the authority of Jesus because Jesus ends his ministry. The end of the book is Jesus on a mountain saying all authority has been given on heaven and earth has been given to me. The reason why Matthew wanted to end with that temptation is to point to this is, that was the, the you know, the climax of the temptation that Matthew wanted to emphasize to where Jesus was at the end of the book. The, and so when someone is writing a story, if they're going to reorder the events of things, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's contradicting. He's just trying to emphasize certain things over another. And so we can have faith and and trust knowing that we have an accurate record of what really happened. That's the biggest thing you got to remember. We have an accurate, truthful record of what really happened. You can put your faith and trust in that. I and, and so do the study for yourself. There's a lot of great websites out there. Um, so, so with the last two minutes, I'm not, there's only one other contradiction that I think is really popular that I want to point out. And that is there's this these two passages. Uh, one is in 2 Samuel 24 when it says that God provoked David to do a census, right? Mm-hmm. And in a couple hundred years later when they wrote the book of Chronicles, it says that Satan provoked David. Well, who was it? Was it God or Satan? Well, what we know is that God God was the one who wanted to happen, and he, and he used Satan as an instrument to, to accomplish his will. We see this all the time, mm-hmm. where it's, God will call together his divine counsel and say, I need a spirit that will do something for me, right? This is how God works. Um, and so these are, again, these are there are different perspectives from different angles that are still talking about the same thing. They're not... They're not different, they're not contradictions. They're they're showing different perspectives so that there's a point that the author's trying to get across. So that's that's how you handle apparent contradictions.
0: And we really just scratched the surface. We really did. Uh, I mean, in uh, 20 uh, minutes it's hard to really Yeah, cover and all this that. is a part of an overall um, approach to theology called apologetics. Mm-hmm. And apologetics is basically um, going below the surface and giving a defense mm-hmm. of of theology, of scripture, of doctrine, and so forth. And and uh, certainly there have been some very very brilliant minds who spent their entire life uh, yes. doing this. But again, it's part of the miracle of Scripture. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're dealing with a you know a, a novel yeah. or or a, a single text, but but rather we we're dealing with the most complex, most important, mm. most refer, referenced, most read book in the history yeah. of mankind. And uh, and and so with that in mind, uh, there are going to be questions, but there's always the answer. That's right. And all we got to do is keep searching for That's it. Right. So as always, thank Thank you so much for listening and joining us here at Life Talks. We hope you'll share us on your social media and also just uh, uh, feel free to communicate back to us and let us know, uh, you know, how we can uh, a topic you'd like to hear us talk about or to address. We're always interested in hearing from you, but until next time, thanks for joining us as always here at Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you
1: never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.